It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me here on the Talent Talk Radio Show, uh, and as well as my uh, two guests here. Just in case this is one of the first times you might be tuning in or listening to one of the shows, um, let me give you a little kind of rundown on how it works. You know, I've had the little privilege of meeting a lot of these leaders or knowing of them uh, or about them and invite them here to, to come on the show to hopefully, you know, have the privilege to, to learn something from them. So this, this show is really designed to give you an opportunity to listen in on some of the topics that we're going to talk about and hopefully give you something that you can use in your own career, uh, maybe even in your own day uh, right away or even down the road. So uh, the show here is live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We broadcast on the TuneIn Network. You can get that app on your devices or look for it on your browser. And But most people actually interact with us on the podcast on iTunes or through the iHeartRadio app or website on any device that has an Internet connection. You can get us through iHeart. So we've amassed a huge following, uh, just about uh, 300,000 of you tuned in last week. And... Uh, li- you know, popped on a podcast or an iHeart feed. Really appreciate everyone doing that. Big thank you. Don't forget, we love some interaction on the, on the Twitter. A little Twitter love is always great. So you can send us a question, a comment, a guest suggestion, anything you like. Use that hashtag talent talk is all one word. That's kind of our indicator. Mike, my producer, will kind of follows that hashtag and we interact with people from there. But uh, if you're listening live, you can also send a uh, question to us to ask one of our uh, two guests. And my guests today are uh, Mary Claire uh, Burt, president of Roslyn Business Improvement District in uh, Washington, D.C. And then on the second half of the show, we'll have Patrick Rooney, the founder and chief customer officer for uh, Q Social. Um, so let's go ahead and get to my uh, first guest. Uh, Mary Claire, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself uh, and, of course, about your organization and what it's doing. Sure. So it's funny, Chris. Um, I was looking back at my resume, and if, if you look at my career sort of resume style, it looks a little disjointed. I started out in broadcasting. I moved on to consulting, and now I'm running a community organization. So it, it you sort of scratch your head and wonder, wow, that's kind of an interesting trajectory. 
Um, really, I think the common thread is that I'm a people person. And when you look at my area of passion and my skill sets, it's all around getting the best from people. I think, you know, really to do anything effectively in today's organization, you have to work with and through people. And so um, I, I'm lucky that it's actually a passion of mine and, and certainly my communications degree and certificate in organization development and change leadership definitely support that work. But as I said, I started out in broadcasting um, as a production assistant, and I moved on to help launch and manage the Fox News Channel. Um, and then ultimately in the broadcasting field, ultimately worked up my way up to um, Vice President of Washington Operations for All Britain Communications, where I managed WJLA, which is Channel 7, uh, News Channel 8, and Politico. And any of the, the listeners know anything about broadcasting, you know that it's in a constant state of change right now. And so I just felt that in order to be a leader in that, industry, I really needed to, to ground myself um, in how do you manage change. And so I went through the, the Georgetown Organizational Development and Change Leadership Program, and that really was a pivotal point for me, Chris, because it, it, I had always wondered what would I do if I left broadcasting, and, and what going through that program allowed me to see is that my core skill sets are actually around getting the best out of people. And so it sparked a whole new avenue for me, and, and I sort of took a hard left with my career, um, left broadcasting and actually launched a consulting, management consulting firm, MC Strategy. Um, and again, as you could imagine, the focus was around helping organizations become more effective. And so things like strategic planning, change management, strategic communications and engagement, employee development. And so it was just, I, I absolutely loved this work, and I did it for almost six years, um, and then came to the attention of um, a recruiter who convinced me that I should give that up um, and move into my current position, which is the president of the Roslyn Business Improvement District. Uh, and I can talk a little more about Roslyn. But, it, again, I think the interesting thing when you look at it on a resume, it, it sort of looks like lots of turns, but really the, the common thread there is how do you put systems and things in place to allow people to be more effective. Well, and when the turns are good, you know, it's usually someone who's being successful and, you know, people want to find successful people who like uh, to work with other people and collaborate and coordinate. And so it's not as uncommon as maybe I think, you know, I think a lot of our radio show guests would have a similar theme that they kind of get pulled into these other industries or markets, but for what they're strong, you know, strongest at. So, Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what the Rosalind Business Improvement District really focuses on and what your work there is, is, is doing. Yeah, so it was interesting. When the recruiter called me, um, you know, sort of, I did not know that much about what a business improvement district does. Um, I knew enough to know they sort of do economic development and, um, you know, they work with the businesses to make it a great neighborhood um, and try to sell the neighborhood. And, and so I said to the recruiter, I said, you know, I don't do commercial development. Uh, or real estate. Um, I'm not in economic development. I haven't worked in a public-private partnership before. Why on earth would you want me? And he said, no, no, we need a leader who can actually coalesce all of our diverse stakeholders around a, a central mission or vision and then actually 
get the resources in place to make that happen. And so that really is what the role is and what our organization does. We are transitioning this neighborhood, which um, for the listeners, we're just outside of Washington, D.C., um, in Arlington County, um, which for the most part is very urban, but it has a few commercial districts which are very urban, and Roslyn is actually one of those. So Roslyn is about literally about seven or eight minutes from D.C., and we're almost like a little mini city. And so our work um, and my role is really how do we engage and help organize all of the various different stakeholders towards achieving the shared vision of a premier mixed-use downtown? How do we make it a better place to live, work, play, and invest one street at a time? And so I'm using, again, you know, we talked a little bit a moment ago, Chris, about that sort of that common thread of um, the people side of it, the people skills, and that's really what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm engaging and leveraging our stakeholders and trying to get the right people in the right roles with the right motivation and the right resources to move us forward. Um, and so the way it works is the bid is actually funded by a special tax that's paid by the property owners, and then we get that money through the county. And we decide, okay, what can we do that's going to make this better that the municipality can't do themselves? And so it's things like um, cleaning and maintenance and hospitality, beautification, public realm enhancement, um, marketing and promotion, community activities and events, um, all those types of things that make a neighborhood a really cool place, but maybe the municipality, or in our case Arlington County, maybe can't focus quite that much um, on. And so that's really the work that we do. So for me, you know, once I sort of realized that, it, it really felt like a very natural extension of the path that I had been on. Yeah, it's uh, it sounds like a really fascinating job and um, to be able to kind of pinpoint where do we have the most impact and where is the greatest need as well. And as you mentioned, to uh, kind of get everyone with probably completely divergent ideas on what that is to to agree on a common goal and, and, and thought process. It sounds like a fascinating and challenging role. Yeah, uh, I I, and I will tell you, that's, that is the essence of the challenge part of the role, is we have so many diverse stakeholder groups, and at times the unfortunate thing is some of them not only have diverse interests but competing interests. So you've got a developer maybe that wants um, height and density in their building, and maybe you have a resident who doesn't want, you know, that building to block out the sunlight. And so how do you craft an agenda that both of those stakeholder groups can get behind? Because ultimately development is what leads to the economic development benefits and, and ultimately to a better neighborhood. But how do you do that thoughtfully so that, you know, you're, you're not making it um, difficult for the residents? And that's, that's sort of the art and the challenge of a mixed-use environment. It's not just commercial. It's not just residential. It's mixed-use. So part of this is really, you know, helping people achieve organizational goals. So clearly you're going to have to set those at, your, at the improvement district there and compare that to um, your own kind of uh, maybe a cultural identity or, or what is that mission statement. So once you have that in place, you know, what's your strategy to really help people and organizations really meet those goals that you've set in place? That's also another challenge, right, because we have work that we do on behalf of the neighborhood, but then as you point out, rightly so, we have our own organizational goals. Um, and the way I 
sort of my strategy to help um, people achieve these goals. I believe that it's about engaging people. That's central to anyone who's trying to achieve organizational goals. You can change the org chart. You can change the processes and the policies. Um, you can make any changes you want, but at the end of the day, it really is the people who have to take collective action towards a goal if you're ever going to achieve it. And so that's, to me, that's really the heart of, of what you're trying to do is, is getting people to take collective action towards a goal. Um, and I think there's a couple components and, and, you know, through my management consulting work, um, I really refined some of this because I worked with a lot of really amazing leaders who shared their day-to-day challenges and, and I learned a lot from those clients um, that I now take into my role here at the bid. Um, and I think there's a couple important things to this. So I think trust is the first and foremost. It's a very key and critical basic element that leaders have to pay attention to. When I started at the bid, the first step I took was really establishing relationships, and I started building trust with the staff and with my board of directors. And as a leader, I think it can be tempting to start laying out your goals and your vision from the start, because I think a lot of times leaders are those hard-charging, like want to get stuff done. I know I'd probably put myself in that category. But from a smart communication standpoint, you always want to start with the audience. What are their motivators? What are the experiences and insights that are shaping how they see their mission? And what do they need from you? Um, what do they see as working or not working? What are their ideas to make improvements, et cetera? So by listening to them, you start to build that trust. And I think trust is key um, and central to, to achieving those organizational goals. Um, I think a second important thing is the why. You've probably heard the WIFM, what's in it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I always try, whether it be from a communications or engagement standpoint, or even when planning strategy, I always just try to think about the WIFM. And by showing each employee or each stakeholder a clear line of sight between their day-to-day work and the outcomes you're looking for, I think you stand a better chance of getting and keeping people motivated and engaged in reaching those goals because they they actually are starting to buy in now. They They understand the why. Why are we doing this work? Well, it's to achieve this. And I think that keeps them motivated and engaged. Um, and I think finally, you have to have a plan. Um, once you've built the trust and you have that strong understanding of how the organization is operating currently and sort of what your, who the key people are, all those things, then you can begin to lay out the vision for the future and set a plan. And I think part of that plan is really how are you going to engage the right people at the right times in reaching those goals. An example at the bid, um, they hadn't done a formal strategic plan for about seven years before I came in. And I know what an effective foundational piece that is. I mean, I I have a bias towards that because I did that as a management consultant. But it was an opportunity for me to actually do that with the staff, do it together. And so it it was building buy-in. It was building trust. um, And it was bringing along our 27-person board and the Arlington County officials um, into that endeavor so that everyone was kind of on board with the plan. So I think those are a few things that I would kind of cite, you know, when you're thinking about how can you be successful about engaging people, it's about the trust, it's about the why, and it's about having a plan um, for doing that. So, you know, where um, do you think that that kind of has a direct correlation to um, you know, HR executives as well? I mean, you're, you're talking about in the context of 
you know, overall planning for a city and bringing businesses. But since this is a show where we talk a lot with HR execs, does it have a different context or do you feel like it's really parallel? Oh, I, I think it's absolutely parallel. I, you know, the HR industry is sort of an, is undergoing an interesting time of change and it's, I can really relate to it because being in the communications industry, that industry also had a similar shift. And I think, you know, HR execs often lament that they don't have a seat at the table or that they are relegated to enacting policies to fit a predetermined strategy of the organization. And as I said, I think the communications industry went through a very similar and difficult journey to try to get that seat at the table and really be seen as that strategic partner to the C-suite. So my message to HR execs is that they can really earn that seat at the table by understanding what it takes to help the organization reach the vision and by helping to set the strategy. And so by understanding how to do that planning and how to engage on those sort of key um, foundational building topics, I think they really, um, I think it's just a great way for them to, to, take their, their place at the table in planning for and managing these key processes. Um, it, it was interesting. I did a workshop at a SHRM um, annual conference a year back on this exact topic, and, and that was the importance of HR professionals getting a better understanding of strategic planning and change management, um, two things that I think are just critical to an organization's chance of success. And I think these areas are well within the wheelhouse of HR. I think this is the type of work HR should be doing. But I think the challenge is that it does mean taking on, in some cases, extra work. And in, in, in other cases, it can mean sort of taking a step back from the usual administrative side of HR and demonstrating the value of paying attention to the people side of the equation. And I, I, my belief is that HR is ideally suited for this work. And I think you know, it, it can start with a, a C-suite that's open to this, but I think in, in many cases there's sort of a predetermined idea of what what the HR function in an organization does. And, and in my mind, I think organizations would be much better off if they engaged their HR team in the strategy. And, in fact, at the bid, one of the first moves that I made um, after kind of getting comfortable with the with the environment and who was who and all that was I promoted the woman who was doing our finance and HR, I promoted her to a VP level specifically because I wanted to place a focus on the HR side of the work and not the administrative and benefit side of it, but the strategy side. And, and I'll tell you, we myself personally have gained tremendously from doing that because because she also does finance she has a, a a very detailed and analytical mind to begin with and so she's a natural at strategy and i absolutely think that this is an area ripe for hr whether people are come, just coming into the hr field or whether they're seasoned executives um there is a place um and you earn that place at the table i think by understanding how to lead strategy cuz Sadly, a lot of a lot of executives don't know how to do that very well. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the areas we see that companies have the hardest time in really impacting change is in the area of culture. And so, they may want to make small changes. Or they may want to completely revamp their culture, uh, set it off in a good direction. They may just want to get everyone aligned in what the culture is supposed to be. 
but that seems to really, you know, culture will drive so many good and bad things inside of a company. Are, are there specific things that you have looked at or, or talk about, you know, as relates to, to your experience in change management that you see companies can do, you know, to actually ha- have that impact that, you know, I don't want to say easy, but what are some of the basic things that they might look at in that kind of a process? Yeah, so the good news, so there's a good news and bad news story about about managing or integrating change. Um, sort of the bad news is that it's hard. <laughs> it's, it, it truly is hard. I mean, you look at the statistics, and I think it's like something like 80% of, you know, change initiatives fail. Um, and I think the reason they fail is because leaders tend to overlook the fact that it's the people side of change that's so difficult. I think a lot of leaders are very good project managers, and so they can manage very complex um, initiatives and projects. But what happens is, is I don't think they look at the people side of the change. And so I think when you're thinking about how do you effectively help companies integrate change and minimize the impact, I think thinking, sort of flipping that a little. So when you're integrating change, I think it's more about looking to create a positive disruption. So it's less about minimizing the impact per se and more about maximizing the impact while supporting the organization and the employees. I think if I were going to give any advice, it's interesting to go from a consultant who was giving advice to leaders to then having to put on the hat and be the leader who was managing change. And sometimes it can be a little easier you know, sort of from the outside, you know, um, offering solutions and advice and then being inside and having to deal with all the daily stuff um, and then add this into the mix. Um, so it is it is challenging for sure. But I think the reality to understand is that every organization has limited time and resources to deliver increased results. And so um, I think it's about sort of finding what is that, that, 80-20, right? So what what is the area where you can get the most bang for the buck um, and have the least disruption and then really focus your efforts there? I integrated a lot of change to this organization. We really pivoted what we were doing for our stakeholder groups. When I arrived, it was a lot about, you know, marketing and community events, which were fantastic. Um, but what I what I realized in, in our strategic planning process with our board is that we really needed to do a better job of knowing who was in the neighborhood and figuring out how to best reach out to them in a consistent and um, proactive way. And so we launched a, uh, a Salesforce initiative, which is, you know, a database. And it took months of development in gathering the data and, and building out a custom platform. And we did that so we could establish and see the relationships between all of our stakeholders. And it was very successful, but it was not easy because this took a lot of foundational building work to prepare the employees for this change, the change in our focus in our program areas as well as the change in how they did their work. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that gets really sticky and people get really nervous and upset about and, and trying to actually get them to use the new tools and systems and feeling confident about that. And so what I did was I took some of the very basic techniques that I learned in Georgetown through the change management program, and I put them to work. And so first is no going in. The change is hard. So you need to be prepared for it, and you need to invest the time up front to prepare to manage the change. You need to involve the employees in the change. 
And so our employees in this case on the sales force were ground level involved and responsible for actually helping to direct the changes. So that meant that they had some control and outcomes and they weren't just, you know, a helpless victim who was being told you have to use this. The fourth thing I think is communicating regularly about the changes. People need to hear things an average of seven times, seven times before they can process a change. And so I think communicating and reiterating those messages is important. And then finally, rewarding the new behaviors that we wanted to see. So celebrating when people were using the new tool effectively, celebrating the successes as a team. So I think really those are the, if I were going to say the, the, the key points, it's knowing that it's going to be hard in preparing, involving the employees, communicating regularly, and then rewarding the new behaviors. Um, oh, and those all seem like, yeah. you know, those are great things. And Hopefully everyone had an opportunity to write them down. I know we're just about out of time here. I know it goes by quick uh, when we're talking about fun things. I want to make sure that I give you the opportunity, though, is how can people learn more about uh, your company or, your, or you if they're interested in, in learning more? Absolutely. So I would encourage them to go to our website, which is www, um, well, it's rosalynva.org, R-O-S-S-L-Y-N-V-A.org. Um, and you can reach me there. Um, you can also reach me on Twitter, and my handle is Mary Claire Burek. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show. I know we had a lot of questions we didn't get to, but hopefully we can have you come back at some point, give us an update, and we can kind of pick up where we left off. But, uh, again, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you, Chris, for having me. I love the show. It's, I've, I've learned a lot from your, your guests that you've had on in the past, so thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break and our second guest, Patrick Rooney. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Uh, don't forget, you can uh, tweet questions if you're listening live uh, right now. Uh, at PeopleG2 is our where you can find us on Twitter, but use that hashtag Talent Talk. So ask your question, give your suggestion, whatever it may be, and add hashtag Talent Talk, all one word, all together. And my producer, Mike, will uh, find them and use them and share them and everything else with it. So 
Let's go ahead and get to my next guest, uh, Patrick uh, Rooney. He's the founder and chief customer officer for, hopefully I'm saying this correctly, Q Social. So, uh, Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Chris, and you, uh, you nailed it, Q Social. All right. Well, maybe you can tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what your company does. Yeah, terrific. Well, hey, first of all, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm looking forward to a fun conversation. Um, you know, from a talent acquisition perspective, I'm a, a relative newcomer to the industry. My background is in marketing and communications, both on the on the large global agency side as well as on the corporate side, uh, where you know a lot of my interest was largely around influence. What makes somebody do the things that they do? What shapes perceptions that ultimately leads people to make the the decisions that they that they make? And so, about ten years ago. Prior to Q-Social, I co-founded a, uh, a word-of-mouth and social media marketing agency uh, here in Chicago that worked with, uh, we worked with large fortune companies, right? So ConAgra, Unilever, Dell, State Farm, Subway, um, companies like that to help them use and harness social media for marketing, um, to help them to reach the consumers that they needed to reach to get them to do the things that, that they wanted them to do. As we all started to become increasingly uh, savvy and sophisticated with social media, and it started to permeate every aspect of, of our lives from, from customer service. You know, if you're stuck at, uh, at an airport, um, with a flight delay, you would, you know, you would tweet out at uh, American Airlines, you know, what's going on. So, you know, impacting customer service, um, and nowhere more so than the talent acquisition. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, social media started to eclipse marketing to impact these different functional groups. And whereas in marketing we had, you know, uh, you know, a whole host of tools and technologies at our disposal that enabled us to manage and moderate and measure what we were doing for the brand social channels, there weren't the same types of tools and technologies that enabled those customer service service agents or those recruiters who are in LinkedIn and in social media every day, they didn't have the same tools and technologies to enable them to harness social media and do an effective business channel. And so that was that was really the crux uh, and the the genesis of Q Social. We founded Q Social in 2012 as a way to help companies and the recruiters harness social media as an effective talent acquisition channel. Is that really the driving force there? Is it kind of bringing those two together into a powerful way? Yeah, you know, so the the principles of the of the platform um, are super simple, right? It's got to be super simple for people to um, to not only use um, Q Social, but it's got to be super simple for them to to use social media as a as a as a business channel, right? We've all got so many things on our plates. That adding one more thing, having to do one more thing just becomes something that wouldn't be sustainable. And on the other side, uh, you know, the ability to make it measurable. You know, I was the guy sitting across from the CMO at Unilever literally trying to answer the question of, okay, it's great that um, we have all of these likes and all of this social media activity. But what's that getting me from a business perspective? You know, and back then that was a profoundly uncomfortable conversation to have because there wasn't a good uh, a good answer to that that was rooted in business metrics. And so Q Social, when we started to, to look at what 
QSocial would become, those, you know, those were the two primary driving principles. It's got to be super simple for the users and it's got to be measurable for the organization to, to be able to track the value that was being accrued back to, uh, to them through all of their individual recruiter and, and employee efforts. So I know you kind of have this, uh, company, you know, with the slogan or whatever, but, you know, I noticed it was bringing the employer brand to life. And so is that what you mean by, um, obviously you have that simplicity part, but being able to actually measurably and in some simple way show them what the value really is on that information, is that what you're trying to do by bringing their brand to life? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, gosh, companies have spent a lot of time, they've spent a lot of money, they put a lot of energy into trying to figure out the best way to harness social media for talent acquisition. But what's really happened um, is that the same old traditional marketing tactics have been applied to a medium that it's, that at its core is about relationships, right? And, and so digital advertising, banner ads, things that we've done in consumer marketing are certainly effective to a certain extent in, uh, you know, in recruitment marketing. But you know, from the core, core social perspective, they don't really translate. So social media has an effect to democratize the, the communication flow between companies and their audiences, where audiences don't want nice, neat, Prepackaged message sound bites to be served up to them. They want the authentic thing. They want the real thing. They want transparency. They want raw interaction. And it means going beyond the brand's social handles, whether that's the Facebook page or a LinkedIn group or a Twitter handle. And what's happened is that it's the recruiters who have picked up the mantle of social media and they use it every day, right? More so than anybody else in the organization. An individual recruiter is in social media every day. Um, and because it's become a, a you know a necessary tool for them, and that's a good thing, right? It's it's a good thing because it gives the employer brand reach into networks that it never would have had access to before. But beyond that, in, um, in, it's in enabling the organization to um, to reach people who are similar to your employees, right? They have similar experiences, they have similar profiles. Um, this is what we call the birds of a feather flock together principle. Software engineers are connected to software engineers, so on and so forth. Um, right, and that's is, sort of, you know, we notice that companies are usually pretty bad at, um, or kind of missing the mark when they're using their social media networks for their own recruiting purposes. I mean, a lot of it's just blasting, look how good we are, or look what we can sell, and, and they're not really refining it to, hey, we want you to notice us because we want you to come work for us. That, that's exactly right. You know, it's, it's companies that are talking at people or they're delivering jobs, but it's not a conversation, right? And, and the problem is with a lot of organizations is that, you know, that they, they think about social for the sake of social, right? We're not talking about social for the sake of social. We're using it as a vehicle to reach the right people. And if we're going to use it as a vehicle to right, reach the right people, we've got to do it in a way that's going to get us to the result that we want, right? So that's got to be then tied back to some business outcome. So so you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, there's a, I, I've seen some pretty crazy stuff that people put up on their walls and uh, things that don't seem to, to match. In fact, I've even noticed recently a pretty big push by a lot of LinkedIn users to sort of, you know, begging people to start editing what they're putting on there because it's starting to turn into, like, Facebook, you know? And yeah. so they really want a particular set of content on a particular medium. Um, you know, Facebook seems to be generally a, a free-for-all. 
uh, <laughs> Twitter is a, Twitter is a free for all, but it's very topical. Um, you know, very kind of what's happening this very second. But you know, LinkedIn, they're kind of like, no, I just want business news. I want business stuff. I think that kind of falls into what you're talking about here. So they went to my Twitter page and they were thinking about coming to me. They wanted a job. They were heard about our company. If we had recipes for cookies and what Jay Z's been mm-hmm. talking about. I mean, those things are very disconnected, although they might be popular on social media in general. They're not really in line or I know those are ridiculous examples, but, you know, sort of this kind of off the mark stuff. And so it sounds like you're really trying to get people you know, uber focused on what, what they're really putting out there. Well, yeah. And not only just what they're putting out there. Um, I mean, look, you know, if you look at any organization, there's probably going to be a handful of people who know how to use social media. Um, as an effective business channel, right? Most people know how to post pictures. Most people know how to do status updates, but they don't really know how to approach it from a right, from a business perspective. And and that's where Q Social comes in, right? We're focused on um, on enabling recruiters to use social media effectively. So what does that mean? That means that that we teach them best practices. We have training modules that kind of teach them social recruiting 101, 201, more advanced conversion, right? So giving them best practices because most people don't know and they'll admit that they don't know how to use LinkedIn or Twitter or, or even Facebook for business, right? So so they're open to it and they're just looking for some guardrails and best practices. So we teach them how to do it. Um, we give them content because, as you know, Content is the, the engine that drives social media. But if you're an individual recruiter or if you're an individual employee, you know, finding good, relevant, shareable content is time consuming. So to your point, what a lot of people do is they, they revert to the common denominator, right? They'll just, they'll post, you know, just crap on their, 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 uh, on their, uh, on their pages or their sites that isn't really tied back to anything, but they're just sharing to share, right? So, so we deliver content from the organization because the organization has a problem too, right? They know that people are sharing, but, you know, is that content that people are sharing aligned with the employer brand? Is it telling the story that the organization wants to tell, right? And what's happening to that content, right? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it going anywhere? And and who is 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 it reaching? And so we remove that um, that issue, right? We remove that. We solve that equation by delivering content from the organization that's been approved and vetted, and delivering it directly to uh, recruiter fingertips, right, or employee fingertips through SMS. They don't have to go anywhere. They don't have to log in, right? We're going to deliver to text that they can then share out. So we teach them how to do it. We make it easy for them to share content. Um, we have a game engine that applies game mechanics that gives them challenges to convert all of that best practices that we've taught them into actions and activities, right? So we give them challenges to share content. We give them challenges to add connections. And as they as they finish these challenges, they move through the game. And as they do that, the challenges move from social activity-based to outcome-based. So later on, it's, okay, Chris, it's great that you have a 1,000 connections on LinkedIn, now convert that to a meeting or an outcome, right? We're literally walking them through the process of how to use social media effectively to grow the employer brand while ultimately converting it into a referral or a candidate or an interview. And then finally, we measure it all, right? Because 
it's got to be measured, and that's one of the that's one of the real headaches that TA leaders have had. Right? They've spent all this time and money, but they don't have a way to know or gauge, you know, how well are we doing? Right? What's all of this social activity getting me ultimately? And so, so Q Social is is designed brings these four things together to to make it easy for the organization to prompt and drive activity uh, for the recruiters to use social media where they've got to be anyway, right? The candidates are there to use it effectively to find the right people and convert them while me- while enabling the organization to measure all of that activity and what, what the outcome was. So a lot of what we talk about here on the show kind of ends up revolving back to HR. I mean, you're, you're talking about the company in general, although recruitment in itself ends up back in the hands of, of HR, but it sounds like you're sort of approaching this from a company-facing perspective, almost like a, from a PR perspective, on you know, but then, of course, giving them the tools to be effective on that. But if we, if we kind of focus this back into HR specifically, are there, you know, certain metrics that you really think that HR should be looking at, especially around the, where your expertise lies? Well, yeah, I think that there are a number of things. One is training. Right, I mean, training and and compliance is is one of the one of the questions that almost every company has, right? Um, but the I think that most organizations have reached the point where they recognize that um, that social media is here to stay, right? It's not going anywhere, and and people are using it, right? And and what people are saying and how people are using it is largely out of their control. So making sure then, doing everything that they can to make sure that their employees have the right training, right? They know what the best practices are. They have the guardrails. Because I think, and, 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 you know, our clients, a lot of our clients think that, you know, most people don't want to mess up, right? They don't want to flame, they don't want to flame out, right? Um, you know, very few people do. And if they're going to do it, they're going to do it regardless, whether you're, you know, whether you're activating them and they're involved or, or not. So giving them best practices. But then also, you know, from, a, from an HR perspective, you know, um, a broader HR perspective, you know, I don't know if you can, can divorce the, the, the larger HR perspective from the employer brand perspective from a message perspective, right? What are people, what's the tone and tonality um, that um, that uh, you know that's being used around your message and around your brand, right? Um, and then the ability to help influence that and shape that by getting you know, by by sharing content. So you know, I think that that this whole area of of employer branding, when when it comes to social, I think it's still evolving, rapidly evolving. And I think that you know TA is going, or uh, rather HR is going to have to. Um, be nimble and flexible and evolve with it because, look, it's the, the genie's out of the bottle, right? And 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 it ain't going back. Yeah, and it it really has changed. It certainly changed over the last ten years, but it really feels like in the last two years there has been pretty dramatic change in that area. And uh, most companies seem like they're really behind or sort of reeling to to even figure out what that change means or what they should be doing. It sounds like companies like yours can can really be a help uh, in that area as well. One of the things that we talk about a lot too is this idea of being sort of transparent. Um, companies really struggle with transparency, and I'm kind of wondering on your thoughts. You know, with what you're asking your clients to do, are you in any way trying to get them to be transparent about who they are or what it's like to work there, what it's like to be a 
part of that organization, both so you can attract, but also so that people might opt out who really aren't going to be a good fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, um, transparency is um, is one of the core principles of um, you know of of advocacy, and you know, not only just from a uh, not only from a reputational standpoint, because you know I think that the road is littered with the you know with um, the ruins of companies that have tried to, um, you know, um, to, um, you know, covert campaigns, you know, only to be, you know, only to be just flamed, flambéed um, when the truth came out. So just from a reputational perspective, it, it makes sense. But, you know, even from a, also from a, a regulatory and, and legal, you know, the FTC is starting to, to really look at, Employee advocacy and what employee, what companies are asking employees to to do. So there's there's that bit of of um, you know consideration to be had when you talk about transparency. But you know just more generally, um, you know we can share an organization can share all the content at once, right? And in any content strategy, you know it's got to be a successful content strategy is going to be a mix between. Your employer brand story, and then third-party content that that sets your employees, your recruiters up as resources, thought leaders, right? Because if all you're sharing and all they're sharing is employer brand, you know, company information, they're going to tune the, you know, they're going to tune out, right? Their networks are going to just tune them out. So it's got to be a good mix. But the company can can um, you know can share all the employer brand messaging that it wants, but you're absolutely right. You know what people want is, um, you know the the credible the credible voice, um, and that's got to come through in how employees engage, right? So there's training in that. There is motivation in that. There's got to be a a willingness on the part of the organization to let employees talk. But there's also you know the the ability to provide the um, provide the, the mechanisms to enable employees to tell their stories, right? User-generated content, right, <clears throat> is is uh, is a great way for a company to tell tell its story through its employees' voices. And this is so important because um, you know the the employees are the most credible voices that an organization has. The Edelman um, uh, Edelman uh, publishes a, uh, a trust barometer every year, and for the last several years, what has been striking is that um, that employees are cited as being far more credible than a CEO. And so, when you think about that, and you think about attracting talent, right? Who are who are potential candidates wanting to hear from? Are they wanting to hear from the CEO, who you know traditionally has been the most visible mouthpiece of a, an organization? Well, probably not. They're wanting to hear from employees. So, so giving um, you know, giving employees that um, that freedom and that latitude to tell their story, I think, is is hugely important. Well, and that kind of gets into the idea of authenticity, right? You figure that you're going to get the the real story from talking to employees or a, a better perspective and. Yeah, certainly. A lot of times, uh, CEOs we're, we're expected to be cheerleaders, to be uh, out there, to be you know, essentially as a part of the sales team as well. So, yeah, I, I can certainly see that uh, can be problematic. Well, I want to make sure we ask one of our favorite questions before we get to our final question, and that is: uh, Is there a book that you're reading right now that you might share with us? 
Well, I'll tell you, um, you know, I, I've always been a big reader, but my wife got me a Kindle a couple of years ago, and it completely changed the way I read. Do you, have a, do you read a lot, Chris? I, I do, but I actually listen to my books. That actually changed okay. everything for me by listening. So go ahead, though. <laughs> but No, that's funny. It's, uh, in another conversation, we could talk about that on podcasts, which I'm huge into now. But anyway, so, so the Kindle has completely changed the way I, I read, and now I can... I read you know two to three books at a time, and I average finishing one a week. So it's so I'm a huge advocate. Word of mouth recommend uh, the the Kindle. But you know I have a I have an eclectic reading list. Um, you know my guilty pleasure are bubblegum mysteries and, and thrillers. You know, the James Pattersons of the world, the Michael Wallaces, the Tron Grishams. But what I'm reading now is uh, the Boys in the Boat, nine Americans and their uh, in their quest for gold. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating true story about the story of the University of uh, Washington crew team that, um, you know, the, the many of whom came from poverty, you know, during the Depression, um, who ultimately you know, uh, smashed records in, in their quest to, to win a spot uh, in, the, uh, in the Olympics. So, yeah, it's a fantastic book, uh, one of my favorites. I'm, I'm glad to hear you're reading it and enjoying it. Uh, well, I do a book club, and that was uh, probably the favorite book of the year for our book club yeah. as well. Uh, it's a good mix of those kinds of things that really apply to business and to life without it being a business book, and at the same time being a true story and about a really important time in our country's history without it technically being really, you know, a World War II book either. I mean, it's all kind of just set just before that. So it, it sure. seems to kind of cross all different genres and interests of people and uh, it's a great book for sure it is well um how can people find out more about your company if they're interested in learning more yeah well great well thank you uh they can learn more about q social at our website www.qsocial.com um i can be reached directly uh, uh via email at patrick.rooney at qsocial.com and then i can always be found on on twitter you can tweet me at patrick one rooney R O O N E Y. And Q Social is Q U E S O C I A L, in case anyone was wondering. Not sure want them to put just a single Q in there. Uh, you got to spell it all out there. Um, but, right. Patrick, it's really a pleasure having you on the show and I uh, appreciate your time. And hopefully, we can uh, have you come back and check in with you and how you're doing and how the company's going. Great. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. All right, next week we will have, uh, our guest will be Emily Morgan, the founder and president of uh, Delegate Solutions, and Matt Matters, founder of the Employee Engagement Awards, uh, which I attended last year and I was a, a judge for them. And I think I'm going to be a judge again this year, so we'll be talking to Matt about that as well. Between now uh, and then, don't forget to check on previous shows on iTunes, on iHeart, or even on our website, TunnelTalkRadio.com. But until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Town Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.